0: Well, good morning. I can't see all of you, but hopefully you can see me. Thanks for joining us here at Prairie View Christian Church online. For the few volunteers who are in the room, thank you for being here so that we can still put on a worship service even as we're scattered abroad in living rooms and beds and kitchen tables. Wherever you are right now as you're watching this service, we are glad that you are tuned in. And we certainly hope and pray that in this hopefully two-week window of no in-person services, that this will be a suitable, temporary way of worshiping for you. We will certainly communicate with you if it needs to go beyond two weeks. That is our hope. That is our prayer. Time will tell, and we will certainly do our best to continue serving you and caring for you and ministering to you for the next two weeks or for however long we need to do it this way. So with that, let's get into our sermon. Well, today we close our Psalm Selections sermon series, having examined several different genres of psalm. First, we read a hymn, Psalm 103. From there, we read a psalm of confidence, Psalm 121. Then we went to a lament, Psalm 69. And last week, a remembrance, Psalm 77. These psalms give God's people words to worship God. They give us words to express our trust in God. They give us words to cry out to God. And they give us words to remember who God is and what God has done for us. And every single one of these psalms, each genre that we've read, in one way or another, can point our eyes to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, it's appropriate that the genre of choice for this Sunday in the Psalms, November 22nd, is a psalm of thanksgiving. In a normal year, many of us would spend this coming Thursday sitting around a dining room table, eating turkey, stuffing, and mashed potatoes, or, if you're the walkers, pizza. Pizza. And inevitably, some well-intentioned family member might have the audacity to suggest that we go around the table and all share something we're thankful for this year. And even when we know this is coming, many of us will nervously, clumsily, and awkwardly try to come up with the right thing to say. And if your spouse is right beside you, you have to say them, of course. Some of us may make the catastrophic mistake of having no idea what to say, and then all the thankful people around the table judge us. Well, if you find yourself in that predicament over the next few days, perhaps this morning's passage, Psalm 56, can give you some thanksgiving inspiration. So open up to Psalm 56. You can see the verses on your screen as you live stream, but we still encourage you to follow along in your own Bible at home. But before we do any reading, let's pray together as a church. Lord, thank you for this day, this cold, dark, dreary, rainy day of a mostly empty sanctuary. Thank you that we can still worship you regardless of these circumstances. Thank you that we can still worship you no matter who's president. We can still worship you no matter the health crisis in our country or in our community. We can still worship you whether we're sitting in this room or whether we're sitting at home in slippers. And Lord, regardless of what's going on around us, you deserve our worship in all of these circumstances. And so even though this way of worshiping you is different and not what we would prefer and perhaps less than ideal, I pray that our worship would still be honoring to you. And I pray that you and your power and your wisdom and your sovereignty can still use phones and tablets and laptops and TV screens to do ministry and to work in our hearts and work in our minds to remind us of who we are in Christ and remind us of who you're making us to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for this text that we're about to read. I pray that you would use it as you see fit in our hearts and in our minds. We love you, we worship you, we thank you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout this sermon series, we've spent time looking not just at the main text of these various psalms, but also looking at the headings. And those tiny headings are usually overlooked, but they often include helpful information for understanding what that particular psalm is all about. And that is especially true this week. The heading of Psalm 56 is uniquely informative about what it is we're reading. You may see words about the dove on the far-off terebinth. That could refer to the tune or the style to which this psalm was designed to be sung or recited. The word miktam, which you may see there, is a little bit mysterious. It could refer to the concept of atonement or covering. We're not really sure. But the part that is really worth our attention right now is the part about David with the Philistines in Gath. What in the world is going on there? Well, let's do some background work. In 1 Samuel 21, David has already been anointed king of Israel. But his predecessor, the hard-hearted wicked king Saul has refused to give up the throne. And out of jealousy of David, insecurity in himself, and rebellion against God, Saul wants David dead. And Saul has put in a great deal of work to make sure that actually happens. So David has no choice but to flee Saul's presence, And ends up in a Philistine city called Gath. The Philistines were Israel's arch rivals. All the way back to the days of the judges. And they were definitely no fans of David. Why is that? Well, a certain man was from Gath. A rather large man who met an untimely death. When a scrawny young shepherd named David flung a stone that hit him right between the eyes. David is in Gath, and Gath is the hometown of Goliath. So let's read 1 Samuel 21, starting in verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? That Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So David changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. The best thing about masks is that you can't see my spittle running down my beard as we speak. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Desperate times call for desperate measures, don't they? So David does the only thing he can to make it out of Gath with his skin. David, the anointed man of God, the rightful king of Israel, the conqueror of a giant, is reduced to knocking on his greatest enemy's front door. And making himself look like a lunatic in hopes that they might not kill him. Now by God's grace, the Philistine king, Achish, has mercy on David. Lets him pass through unharmed. But not without debasement. Not without humiliation. David had to act like an animal. Just to get away with his life. And yet somehow, out of this comical, embarrassing, and humbling situation, David writes Psalm 56. Out of what may be the lowest point of David's life up to then, we get a psalm of thanksgiving. So let's read it. Psalm 56, starting in verse 1. David says... Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. So David begins by asking for God's help. And given the background that we just read... That's no surprise. Who are the tramplers, the attackers, the oppressors, the enemies David mentions in verses 1 and 2? Well, Saul fits the bill. He's the one who got David into this predicament in the first place. So could the Philistines. Either way, in verses 5 through 7, David makes no bones about what he would like God to do to these people. But somehow, even as he is trampled, attacked, oppressed, David manages to utter a beautiful expression of trust in God in verses 3 and 4. David's enemies can refuse him his rightful throne. They can try to kill him. They can make him an outlaw. They can make a fool of him. But David asks, in the big scheme of things, what can flesh do to me? What can flesh do to me? Pick up in verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know. That God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. So David believes that God can and God will save him from this hardship. In fact, David believes it so much that he starts thanking God in advance. He makes plans to thank God even more once this work of deliverance is truly complete, even if it hasn't happened yet. David believes that God sees his sufferings. God sees when he tosses about on his bed. God sees when he cries. And David believes that God will one day vindicate him. Thus, even though all the cards seem to be stacked against him now, David says that he shall not be afraid. He knows that one day he will walk before God in the light of life. So back to David's repeated rhetorical question. What can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? Well, in the short term, man can do a lot to you. They can mess you up. But in the long term, they can do nothing. So long as God is for him. Like David in Psalm 56, Jesus knew what it was to be trampled, attacked, and oppressed. Jesus knew what it was like to be anointed but rejected. Jesus knew what it was like to be a king without a throne. Jesus knew what it was like to be glorified, but humiliated. But Jesus also knew that God, his father, could be trusted. Jesus knew that God would ultimately vindicate him in front of his enemies. Jesus knew that God would see his sufferings, but deliver him in the end. Jesus knew that man could cause him great Harm by nailing him to a cross in the short term but jesus also knew that his soul would be delivered from death and that he would walk in the light of life three days later and it's because jesus knew this because he experienced all of this for our sins then all who believe in him will be saved All who believed in him will be delivered from death. All who believe in him will walk before God in the light of life as well. So Christians, normal old believers like you and like me, we can share David's confidence from Psalm 56. We may not be the authors of any Old Testament passages, We may not have been anointed by any prophets. We may not be destined for any worldly thrones. And we may not have defeated any giants. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we too can cry out to God during our troubles. We too can trust God through our troubles. And we too can thank God for delivering us from our troubles. We have been justified by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. We have been anointed, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we are destined for glory. We will one day be victorious over sin, death, and Satan himself. It's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that we can say, We can believe. We can know that God is for us. And if God is for us, then we shall not be afraid. If God is for us, what can man do to us? What can flesh do to us? Of course, God being for us does not mean that we will never suffer. Ask David, ask Jesus, ask the apostles, ask the martyrs, ask the trampled, attacked, and oppressed Christians in our world today. They're out there. But while we may still suffer, the fact that God is for us by faith in Jesus Christ means that in the eternal scheme of things, we have nothing to fear. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And a few verses later, Paul adds, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can flesh do to me? What can flesh do to you? If God is for you. So, even as we face the lowest, the darkest, the most unfair, the most embarrassing, the most humiliating moments of our lives, we still have reason to thank God. Even during this less than joyful holiday season, whether we can spend it around dining room tables with family and friends or not, we still have reason for thanksgiving. Thank God that your lungs expand and contract. Thank God that your heart pumps. Thank God that your brain functions. Thank God that you have clothes on your back, food in your stomach, and a roof over your head. And even if you don't have those things, thank God for life itself. Thank God for new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for eternal life through the body and blood of Jesus. Thank God for the church. Thank God for his word. Thank God that he is for you even when you're trampled, attacked, and oppressed. Thank God that he is for you even when the flesh, even when the world, even when the devil himself are against you. Ironically, it's around this time of year, sitting around dining room tables at Thanksgiving, being put on the spot by family members. It's times like this that we realize that we aren't always good at giving thanks. You could argue that in the Bible, sin itself could be boiled down to a sense of ingratitude. In Genesis 3, rather than being thankful for all the trees that God had given them, Adam and Eve were seduced by the serpent to eat from the one that he didn't. In Romans 1 verse 21, Paul describes sinful mankind as those who knew God, but did not honor or give thanks to him. And in Luke 17, Jesus heals ten lepers. But only one of them, a lowly Samaritan, no less, truly saw that he was healed and returned to say thank you. In and of ourselves, we are not great at giving thanks. But when God's word and God's spirit help us truly understand what God's son has done for us, we ought to get a little bit better at it. We can express our thanks to the God who is for us through our love, worship, and obedience for him. Sometimes we're simply too busy, simply too distracted to stop and think about how much we have to thank God for. Or maybe we fall into the prideful. False narrative that we don't need to thank God for anything because we foolishly think that we've accomplished it all ourselves. Maybe we don't enjoy thinking about how much we owe other people, even God, because we don't like the feeling of losing leverage. Or maybe we're thankless because we're just straight up spoiled. But in the words of theologian G.K. Chesterton, When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Thanksgiving to God, gratitude, is a permanent, perpetual way of life for believers in Jesus. Not just a once a year celebration. And for people who claim to be saved by God's grace alone, how could it not be? As Paul instructs believers in 1 Thessalonians five, sixteen through eighteen, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All that is worth having in this life and the next is a gift of God's grace. Gratitude is a predominant mark of a Christian. It's who we are. It's what we do. In good times and in bad, by faith in Jesus Christ. As people with a peace that surpasses all understanding, may we also be people with gratitude that transcends all circumstances. May we be people of thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Because the only way to start a prayer after a sermon like this is to simply say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you have declared us to be by faith in Christ who you are transforming us to be by the power of your spirit. Lord, no matter what's happening around us, near or far, there is never a moment when we don't have reason to thank you, when we don't have reason to praise you, to worship you, to adore you. And so, Lord, help us be people of thanksgiving, not just when things are good, but also when things are bad. Help us know that you are for us by faith in Christ, by your grace. And as long as you are for us, then, Lord, what can man do to us? What can flesh do to us? Help us rejoice always. Help us pray without ceasing. Help us thank you continually. That others might see our gratitude to you. That others might see our good works and glorify you. Lord, help us be thankful people so that we can point the eyes of others to what exactly it is we're thankful for. Who exactly it is that we're thankful for? Your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.